0: and i realized i had to make a decision then and there that i was gay or i was dead Uh, and that's that's kind of how i came out
1: i'm mitch and i'm missy we're co-workers he's the boss and we're married
2: and she's the boss together we host good faith weekly a podcast on faith and culture
1: What could possibly go wrong?
2: Tune in and find out. Missy. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, Missy and I are going to catch up and talk a little bit about why we are recording in two separate locations this week. Then we sat down with Robbie Krutoff, who is a documentarian who released a short doc about how the church is rejecting LGBTQI plus individuals. His documentary is titled, The Things We Shouldn't Talk About. And then later on, Missy and I sat down and talk about what's going on in the church and the exclusivity of the church when it comes to LGBTQI plus believers and how we admire them so much for keeping their faith, even though the church has rejected them. It's going to be a great pod, so stay tuned.
1: Howdy there, Missy. Hey, how's it going? Going well. How about you? Well, I feel like a real official professional podcaster right now.
2: Okay, please. Do tell. Do tell. I I can't wait to hear this.
1: I'm recording in a literal closet. (laughs) Are you now? (laughs) Yes. So we are actually not together in the same space, and if... Memory serves, I think this is the first time we've recorded not in the same space, is that correct? Yeah,
2: no I do. I think that's absolutely correct.
1: Okay, so this is a first for us. However, I will tell you that pretty much all of the popular murdery or crime or, you know, comedy podcasts mm-hmm. that that I've started that I started out listening to Everybody seems to record in their closet because the acoustics are pretty good. So you you sound great
2: in whatever closet you're in right now.
1: I am in a closet. So I'm feeling very like I've made it. I have made it in the podcast world. (laughs)
2: Congratulations.
1: (laughs) (laughs) While you sit with your fancy head headset and your microphone and your soundboard. Back here
2: at HQ. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I'm sitting among sport coats and old flannel shirts. So.
2: <laughs> well, so. you sound great.
1: Thank you. So, I wanted to maybe explain why I'm sitting in a closet, which might be a little um, difficult. But um, to start off and to give some background, I wanted to, and I've had this on my mind for a while. And in particular last week, because, um, John Singletary, when we interviewed him brought this term up and I thought I'm going to go figure out what this actually means because during COVID, I feel like every sermon I heard, um, you know, the preachers just found this buzzword, um, of liminal space. They were Um, all talking about it. Right.
2: And
1: I felt like context clues, like, right, I could figure out kind of what this meant. And then finally, I, I just, and then when John mentioned thought I'm going to go look this up. I want the actual <laughs> definition right. of this word. Okay. I did, but before, before I talk about that, I wanted to see, I wanted you to try to explain this to me and our audience who maybe, maybe don't know exactly you know, you hear it and you can kind of figure it out. But talk to me about liminal space.
2: Oh, man, this was like a setup.
1: <laughs> it, it totally is. <laughs>
2: okay. <laughs> okay, warning, trigger lights. Uh, here we go. That's right. Um, well, from, from the way I understand liminal space and the way it has been explained to me from people who really are knowledgeable about it, it is a moment in time where an individual feels as though they're in transition. Uh, that can be literal transli- transition, that can be metaphoric transition, that uh, can be emotional transition, that they feel like they are between point A and point B. They don't even have to necessarily realize where point B is, but they know that they have left point A, and they're existing within this confusing um uh, Mysterious space that they're trying to figure out what's next, but it's very transitional, um, and so that's the way it's been explained to me.
1: The in between, I think, in, is the word you were looking oh yeah, for.
2: Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs>
1: yeah, in between. So i I wrote down one of um, the definitions that I found actually last week after we talked to um John Singletary that. Um, I decided to share today, but it says liminal spaces are transitional or transformative spaces, often associated with a forlorn atmosphere, a disconnection from the concept of reality, the waiting areas between one point in time and the next. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason I didn't end up bringing it up last week is that I couldn't. Yeah. So the reason I am recording the closet is that I am literally living and watching someone in a liminal space. My mother is in the final stages of dementia. So I am here with her and my dad and my sister, and we are spending her last few days with her. I never knew I'd understand this term so well. I know so many people have gone through it and will understand what I mean, but to have the desire to be exactly where I am right now is, is so strong and I'm thankful that I can be here and I'm thankful that I can record in the closet <laughs> <laughs> full of old sport coats and flannel shirts. Um, But that's... That's what's going on. I feel like each week we try to bring something fun. Um, I know this isn't super fun, but um, again, it's real life and this is where I am. And I just think it's interesting that this kind of terminology has been um, hitting me in the face now (laughs) for a long time. And I feel it in my bones. I feel it for my mom as we um, care for her. In her final days, understanding what it means to want suffering to end, but also to just hope, I don't know, hope for one more, one more moment.
2: You know, last week you and I had a conversation as we got word that this was, her health was, uh, digressing. And, you know, obviously it's a busy time here at Good Faith Media. We're doing all kinds of things, preparing for a board meeting uh, in a couple of weeks. But you and I talked and we both agreed that all of that can wait. That's secondary. You need to be with your mom and your dad and your sister. And I am so glad that you're able to do that.
1: Absolutely. This is such a gift. And I mean, of all of the weird things that came out of COVID. I think that, you know, the world had to adapt and learn to function in situations just like this. You know, I never thought, you know, three years ago when when you started this podcast every week and had to quickly pivot to learn how to record over Zoom, that, that this would lead to this moment in which I can be here with you. We can talk, we can interview, we can um, talk about this interview, but yet I'm still able to be where I need to be. And so I'm thankful for that. I just um, felt like my little bit of distraction was was maybe not evident to anyone but me but (laughs) (laughs) i feel like it's it's worth sharing because i know there are others who will relate to this moment and understand what this is to go through and um i don't know might keep us in 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 their prayers as we continue through this liminal space
2: (laughs) (laughs) well as your husband as your co-host I know I speak for all of the listeners to let you and your dad and your sister and your entire family know that we love you. We are putting our arms around you and I hope you feel that presence with you. So we love you. And.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I feel that. Um, so on another note. <laughs> we did get to record <laughs> We did.
2: We did. Um,
1: uh, we did get to record a wonderful interview with Robbie Krutoff. Um his little documentary I, I say little is not little. It's just it's a short doc, which you know was great. But in, in Robbie's telling of Aaron's story, which is so powerful and unfortunately universal as as you know Robbie talks about he grew up in Australia and then had met this person met met um Aaron and and found such commonality which is lovely when you find somebody you have so much in common with but at the same time so sad because this is his because their stories are universal they're worldwide i'm so glad that he made this documentary and is now turning towards a feature film because these stories need to be told as i will mention probably four times in the closing you know he he says the more we listen the more we are heard and this is such an example of that so i had a wonderful time talking with robbie and also watching the documentary and i would recommend that everyone watch it.
2: Absolutely. Stay tuned. Missy and I will be right back with Robbie Krutoff.
1: Hey, listeners, check us out online at goodfaithmedia.org and follow us on social at gfmedia.org. We'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. I'm new here and could really use the feedback, but only if it's glowing. Thanks for listening.
2: Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, we've got a special guest with us. Robbie Kutoff is the gay son of two Pentecostal pastors from small-town Australia. His journey of faith and sexuality took him down a tumultuous path from suicidal Bible college student to intravenous drug addict, forced to work the streets of Melbourne. Almost 20 years after clawing his way back out of that gutter, Robbie began Researching this topic while writing his own memoir, he was shocked to find that suicide rates among queer religious youth are potentially higher today than they were when he came out. This sent him on a journey to find out why this is still an issue. How many are affected, and does the church understand the hurt it is causing? Robbie is now a happily married American-Australian citizen and reconnected with his family with an ever-evolving faith. He aims to raise awareness for the at-risk group and mental health challenges they face without demonizing those of faith and hope of reconciliation. His award-winning short documentary titled Things We Shouldn't Talk About can be viewed at thingsweshouldnttalkabout.com. Robbie, welcome to Good Faith
0: Weekly. Thank you, thank you. It's great to be here. That was a that was a lovely introduction.
1: <laughs> so I have so many questions just based on Mitch's introduction. <laughs> but first, just tell us a little bit more about your upbringing, about growing up. Um, one in Australia. It's not some place I'm familiar with. Um, growing up as a, Pente- a child of Pentecostal ministers and and being um a person who is gay, and I assume didn't maybe know that very early on, but as you came to that realization and what kind of that process was like for you.
0: So my family are all Pentecostal ministers. So it's not just mom and dad, uh, my brother, my uncle, my aunt, my niece, my sister-in-law, they're all Pentecostal pastors. So Wow. It was a, yeah.
2: <laughs> the calling is strong in your family.
0: <laughs> it is very strong. Uh, so, I, it was it was really a family business um i was studying to be one myself um but i always knew since since i hit puberty since i you know started to have any kind of attraction i knew that i was gay mm. and did all of the things that i was supposed to do to not be gay um you know the amount of prayers the amount of actions that i had to do the accountability all of it um and nothing was working so um For me, I, it it was not just a family business for me. I loved my faith. Mm. It was the foundation of who I was. It was everything of me. And it it was, you know, my relationship with God was constant. I'd like to say that God was like a second heartbeat for me. For as long as I can remember, I've always had a relationship with God. And I was just at any moment that I was alone, I was always praying. If I was on the school bus going home, if I was just walking to the shops, whatever I was doing, I was always communing with God. And that was such a huge part of my identity and who I was. And that started getting really complicated once I realized that I was gay. And so in that world, I didn't want to tell anyone because I was afraid, first of all, of what would happen, the shame, the stigma. Also, an added complexity there was... It was my parents' life's work. If if anyone in that world found out, it could jeopardize everything they had done, everything they had built, the entire family. So there was a lot of pressure on my 12, 13, 14-year-old shoulders. And so I didn't know how to process this. I, I didn't know what to do. All I did was turn to God and I would pray every single night, every single night on my knees, and I would cry and i would i would not sleep most nights because i was praying all night long trying not to be gay and i, and I hadn't even done anything mm-hmm. i hadn't even there was no action i just knew that i was attracted to uh other guys and so that started me obviously on a terrible mental health path of starting with uh internalized homophobia self-hatred eventually developing into self-harm uh, which materialized through uh, throwing up the things that I ate and cutting myself and then eventually developed into suicide ideation and suicide attempts. And the the hardest thing and what I'm finding with a lot of other people that I'm speaking to about this issue is that we have to kind of do that in silence. And so dealing with that and then having to wake up and put on a smile uh, every day and walk out into the world and walk out into our church and pretend like everything is totally fine. um, because we just don't know how to cope any other way. Um, and uh, the, the suicide, uh, those years of suicide ideation, uh, got so bad that I was just looking at everyday objects and thinking, how can I use that to end my own life? Mm. Uh, I would write. Like just just anything, I would look at a, a glass, I would look at it, whatever it was, and think, "How can I use that?" And I was writing suicide note after suicide note every night, but never able to finish because I couldn't explain what I didn't understand, what my what my community didn't understand, uh, and so that was really it was just really hard for me uh, during that stage. And I remember one of the one of the last times I I, I attempted suicide. I'd almost driven my car into a tree. And at the last second I I, I swerved and sat there in the rain in in my car with the windscreen wipers going, and I I realized that the next time was going to be the last, Mm -hmm. and I realized I had to make a decision then and there that I was gay or I was dead. Uh, and that's, that's kind of how I came out. (laughs) Wow. What a story.
2: Uh, Well, thank you for sharing uh, your story with us, uh, Robbie. Very, very powerful. Well... You have created this wonderful documentary, The Things We Shouldn't Talk About. And so, first of all, congratulations on the documentary. It's superb. The documentary tells the story of Aaron Palmer, a former member of Antioch Church in Waco. And Why that is germane for our audience is that we actually did a series of videos about the harm of conversion therapy, and some of those came out of Antioch Church in Waco, so there was a connection there. So let me ask you this. Why did you uh, feel compelled to tell Aaron's story specifically?
0: So I met Aaron uh, a few years ago now and we, we, we had connected. We were actually in the San Francisco gay men's choir together and we had just connected and started talking about our past and our histories. And we were just shocked, like completely shocked at how similar uh, our histories were and our upbringing was. And, the, and the, the closer that we we became as friends, the more we kind of opened up to each other and realised that there were, there were so many parallels between our stories. We're about the same age. Uh, his father was a Pentecostal pastor in uh, Arkansas. And what was shocking to me, though, was the parallel in our mental health journey and the same pressures and issues that happened to us. We're literally growing up a world apart And these same issues are happening and it it was just, it was shocking. And so I thought this really needs to be told. I I really want, (laughs) one of the funniest things was hearing my story through someone else's words Uh and uh, I thought making this documentary, I was really making it about myself, but through someone, through someone else. Uh, And the reason why I, I wanted to do it is because these issues are just not getting any better. Uh, they're actually potentially getting worse, uh, which is, which is shocking. When you think the queer visibility and and queer rights have increased tremendously over the last decade or two decades. Why do you think?
2: Why do you think those statistics are increasing?
0: Mm, well, it's so from the from the research we've been doing, it's it's not really one particular thing, but one of the main things is that there has been a conservative backlash to that increase in visibility and representation and what used to not be talked about in a home unit. For example, in in my house, we did not talk about sexuality at all. Mm -hmm. We knew what everyone thought about it because it would be talked about only from the pulpit when you're naming the most deadly sins and the most horrible sins. So you, you were named up there with, so it was racist and and bestiality and homosexuality. And so you knew what everyone thought about it, but it wasn't really talked about. Now, these households and faith communities feel like they need to confront it and talk about it, often, unfortunately, with negative rhetoric, which is hurting these closeted queer kids. Mm -hmm.
1: So most of our listenership, I feel like, will be pretty familiar with um, just the staggering statistics surrounding LGBTQI a plus of individuals in suicide. I was wondering if we could talk for a minute, though, about the specific subset of people who have left their faith communities, left the church, and maybe even found a supportive you know, um, group or, or community to be part of outside of the church, but still continue to have these increased risk in, and maybe even more so rates of, of attempted or, or suicide. I want to talk for a little bit about that issue and about why that's happening can you speak to that
0: yeah so with the researchers that i'm working with with the full-length documentary i'm doing they've been there's a lot of research out there showing that when you leave that community and so i i for example i had to leave my community Mm -hmm. when i came out and that was so damaging for me because that was all i knew that was my entire life i grew up with these people They were my family. They were my extended family. And having to leave that security and not having that anymore is a huge mental health impact and a huge risk to the the suicide. Uh, So that is a factor in in itself. Then I think from a personal point of view, there's no research really that I can point to to this. But what I can see from my own journey and from others that, that I've been working with on the full length documentary is that uh, we still struggle. We sit, even though we might find affirming places, there's still, for some of us at least, that thought in the back of my head, even for me, the thought in the back of my head of what if I'm wrong? What Mm -hmm. if, what if I didn't try hard enough to be straight? What if, what if, what if? if?" Mm -hmm. And the, it's not like, oh yeah, what if that happened? And then the consequence is eternal, damnation and torture and death. And so the stakes are pretty high there. Uh, I don't think they could get any high. So for that subset of people who have left their community who still maybe have those doubts in their mind and don't really have that support or anyone that's really speaking to those doubts. Because what I find that in those affirming places it's just, yeah, everything's fine. Where you're not you're going to go to heaven and you love God and everything's great. But to try and reverse the years of of, of what has been said to you and drilled into you is it can take a lifetime. Yeah.
2: I mean, it's trauma. I mean, it's I mean, yeah. you know, a lot of the LGBT people that I have uh, friended over the, the course of the last several years that have similar stories like you and Aaron have, Talked about that about the years of uh, misplaced anger that uh, was you know leveled up on them the you know th- that led to self hatred to self harm and. Even though they have found a community now, they are still traumatized by all of that. And as you said, there are a lot of questions that continue to rise up. It's not something that, even though you can find a, an affirming community, that all of that just goes away and disappears. It's something that you're continuing to work on. Uh, you know, and so, you know, golly, I just that that really resonates.
1: And the additional layer of trauma in that this place where you found so much of your identity growing up, especially for, in your case, being you know in a family of ministers, this place where you were taught for years and years, this is a place where God is, and God is love, and how that just adds to the dimension of, of not being able to, it's not as easy as just saying, okay, this is bad, I'm walking away and going to start anew. It's this is not a healthy environment, but yet it's so ingrained in me that that was supposed to be where I was finding love and acceptance and, and you know, communion with, with, um, with God. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, uh, there, there is a statistic, Paul. So, youth that leave the, the church community um, are actually two times more likely to commit suicide. Uh, which just shows that that you know it, it is such an important place for them and that and they they do want to have that as their identity and so it's it's just such a nuanced issue and a nuanced topic it's as you said it's not like you can just walk away and be like everything's great um because right. because it's not I and mean, it's yeah that that ongoing mental health journey is it, it manifests in so many different ways and so many different people and so for example with myself when I left, and was forced to leave the church and my family and everything I knew. I I didn't know back then that, that I had experienced trauma. I didn't understand the mental health journey I'd been on, and I was not prepared for the world. I ended up developing um, substance abuse issues and and became an intravenous drug addict and and all because I just didn't know how to how to cope. Um, and what used to be that second heartbeat for me of, of God was like my second heartbeat became an, an, a constant torment because what what I was told was that I could never have that relationship with God anymore, that they, there were these gatekeepers to my faith that said, nope, because you're gay, you cannot have that relationship with God anymore. And so that, for me, it took a really long time. And 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 I'm still on that journey to try and figure out what that looks like for me because I can't turn off my relationship with God.
1: Right.
0: So, yeah.
2: You know, one of the things I really appreciate about you, Robbie, and you and I have talked before uh, previously uh, about the documentary, about uh, your project that's underway, the full feature documentary. And what I really appreciate about you is the spirit in which you talk about those that disagree with you or those that would actually condemn homosexuality as a sin do you think they realize the extraordinarily or the extraordinary harm that they are causing with this exclusionary type of theology because I know that they say they're doing this out of love, but a lot of the rhetoric that we hear, a lot of the actions we see, a lot of the rejection that is heaped upon the LGBT community from loved ones and from the church does not seem to be out of love whatsoever. So how do you keep such a positive attitude and not hold any animosity towards those who condemn you?
1: Teach us. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we need some help because there's a lot of common, a lot of condemnation oozing out of the side of the screen.
0: <laughs> um, I Honestly, I think because I just look at, at, at what that brings, you know, the, the, the reason why I don't want to, to fall into that villain victim narrative of the church being the villain or queer people being, being a victim Uh, especially in the work that I do is because I feel like that just perpetuates a cycle of hatred from which nobody wins that same hatred leads to more pain. It leads to, you know, this year alone, 340 anti LGBTQ laws uh, at the state level uh, being proposed. It leads to more suicides. It leads to more people walking in and shooting over 40 people dead in a nightclub. And so I don't want to be part of that perpetual cycle of hatred. Although at times it's really hard, but I mean, Jesus talked about it, the Bible talks about it of of approaching people with love and how that is the most powerful tool for change. And I think we get it a little bit mixed up sometimes, you know, for example, in in the queer community, we were always talking about love is love is love and love is the most powerful thing, but it's easy to love those who are like us. It's easy to love those who have the same mentality as us. It's really hard and therefore really powerful to try and love those who disagree with you and do not like you. I mean, that's what Jesus did all the time, and that's why he was so powerful in what he did. And so that's, at least that's where I tried to come from. Uh, As I said, it's not always the easiest thing, but the last thing I want to do is use my story or the stories of the people I'm interviewing uh, to create more hatred in the world. Because it gets us nowhere. Yeah. Well, you had to bring sign
1: up for that sermon. (laughs) (laughs) But but
0: he he delivered it.
1: (laughs) Dang it. (laughs) With authority. (laughs) Um, All right, I'm gonna do some repenting over here. (laughs) (laughs) So so offer us some advice now as to how how we can also foster these conversations, how we can be productive community members, church members in, you know, approaching these issues as you are in love and with the idea of, of being productive and not carrying on this cycle of, of hate and adversar- adversarial relationships.
0: I think the easiest way that I've found it is just, you know, there are so many zealots out there and there are people who are just going to kind of throw hatred at you. And what I found is just to not engage with that because I'm not going to move the needle on that person. If they're stuck in their own spiral of hatred, I'm not going to be able to get them out of that and I don't want to try. Mm-hmm. I'm not, for example, in the, in the media that I do with the documentary, I don't want to give voice to, to to that hatred. I want to focus on what I believe is the larger majority of the church who, you know, yes, they're still causing harm, but they're they're doing it with what I hope is good intent um I think we hear those zealots and those those haters much more than everybody else because that's what first of all the media wants to betray because that is more line grabbing and that's what people will want to gravitate towards and that's more drama and that's just the human nature to to, to gravitate towards that. but honestly I believe in most in most churches that you go into and most people that are, at least I've been speaking to uh in my experience with all of this, they're not, they might be non-affirming, but they they seem to be non-hating too. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would just say, leave those haters alone.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, obviously there's, there is that segment of uh, the populace that are just going to spew hate, but a far greater majority of people, especially people who are non-affirming as you, uh, as you indicated, I think, are really open for conversations because they're searching. They may not—they they think they know what the Bible says. They think they understand. Uh, a lot of them take what their pastor says, you know, as gospel. And But they also know that they have gay friends or they have gay family members, and they're tr- and they love them. They know down deep they love them. And to reject them feels wrong. And mm. so they're they're grappling with it. And so they're open to these conversations. I think I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of people are open to have these conversations, even if they're non-affirming.
0: Yes. It gets it gets a bit muddy though, because I, I think one of the reasons why there's so much fear on this when you are speaking to to someone like that. I, I I agree with you, Mitch, but um like take my relationship with my parents, for example. We're reconnected now, but they still believe what they believe that right. that hasn't really changed and when we try and talk about this and, and they try and grapple with this idea you can see that they get scared because they believe if they start pulling the strings on this that their whole faith will somehow crumble ah, yeah. we start, you know picking at this then then we're like then we might as well just throw our complete faith out the window and so i i i, I I think there needs to be a way to be able to show the human impact and the human casualty of this um, which can help people then understand uh, which is why I believe uh, film and stories are the most powerful way to be able to change people's minds
2: well we've already talked about the short doc uh, about Aaron but you've and you've already mentioned it you've got a, you're working on a full feature documentary so tell us a little bit about that where you are in the project and how can people find out more about it
0: Yeah. So it's still, we're still in the, in the planning stage. Uh, So we're probably looking to start filming uh, at the end of this year. And uh, it is, it is going to be basically about everything that we've been talking about. Now we're going to be following myself uh, as a host, as I go on a personal journey of trying to figure out my faith and and sexuality. And I'm going to be speaking to, you know, mothers who have lost their kids due to suicide because of this issue. I'm going to be speaking to mothers, who are non-affirming and are struggling with the, the sexual identity of their child who are religious um, and not in a judgmental way. I genuinely want to want, I genuinely want to show that that mother is terrified that their child is going to go to hell. Mm-hmm. I think from this whole documentary, you know, we're going to be talking to, to psychologists, we're going to be talking to researchers, advocates and ministers on both sides. Uh, I'm even which is which is controversial but I'm even going to be be speaking sitting down with ex gay Christians um as well as suicide survivors like myself just to be getting more of a holistic view on this and understand this a little bit more and the reason why I'm going to do that is because the more we listen to people the more we're going to be heard so I want to I don't want to be preaching preaching to the choir Excuse my pun, with this documentary, I want it to be able to touch the hearts of that general church population. I want them to be able to, I want it to be palatable enough for them to be able to watch this. Well said.
2: Excellent. Well, and they can find out more about the documentary uh, that's out now, the full feature documentary at Talk about.com. Correct. Correct. All right. It was
1: fantastic. It is a short doc, so it's not a two-hour investment. I would recommend everybody <laughs> yeah. go and watch it. It was, it was great. Yeah, thank it you for great. sharing it with
2: us. Well, Robbie, thank, thank you. you so much for joining us this week at uh, Good Faith Weekly. But before we let you go, I'm going to turn it over to Missy.
1: So, Robbie, as you know, our tagline at Good Faith Media is, there's more to tell. So in light of our conversation today and the work that you do, what is your more to tell?
0: Oh, I'd probably say... Like I had said before, the more we listen, the more we're heard. Mm. Wow. excellent! That's awesome. Yeah, that's Thank a great so way to Thank so much
1: for joining us. This has been a lovely conversation. I love the documentary and cannot wait for the full feature.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Robbie. Thank you. Well, Missy, that was a very interesting conversation we just had with Robbie. His uh, documentary, his short doc, is just, it's really well done, and I want to encourage everybody to take a look at it.
1: Yeah, the documentary was great. My issue comes in with all his talk of Jesus in love <laughs> <and> <laughs> towards, <laughs> towards people who aren't accepting, and um, that was, he definitely stepped on my toes a little bit, um, but he's obviously a much better human than I. Um, But I thought that was just I was so inspired by his willingness to still hold his faith so dear and also save room for people who aren't in a place yet to understand um, acceptance and that um, sexuality is not you know, tied to damnation and, and, and things like that. So I I was inspired by him and yes, he definitely stepped on my toes a little bit when he talked about (laughs) being loving and understanding. (laughs) But I
2: think you bring up a a very, very important point because I am amazed about all of the LGBTQI plus community that you and I encounter uh, as we travel around the country and, and, participate in different events. I am amazed about their ability to transcend the visceral that they have received at the hands of Christians and continue to embrace their faith. Now, they may have rejected institutional Christianity, per se, but they still are deeply spiritual people, and down deep, they still... You know, have this relationship with Jesus that they that is pure and genuine and authentic, and I'm just—I I mean, I just marvel at that.
1: And that's what I think is so interesting, and and something that I grapple with because we've had friends—I mean, just heterosexual, gender—you know, very traditional family friends in our circles who have separated themselves from the church and this is one big reason they said this is an institution that hurts people that I love and I can no longer associate myself with this and I it's something I struggle with as well Um, but I just find it so interesting like you said that people that this you know group of of people who identify as LGBTQIA plus who still yearn for that community and yearn for that, um, place in that space of faith in their lives. And so for that, I do feel like it's worth being part of It's worth staying a part of because what, what someone who's been hurt by an institution is teaching us just as Robbie did is that you know, love and listening. I mean, that was what he said. The more we listen, the more we're going to be heard. And I just don't know if I were someone who had been that directly hurt by the institution of the church that that would, would be, well, I mean, we know that would not be my attitude.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. I just burn it down on my way out.
2: <laughs> you would be very passive aggressive towards the whole thing.
1: Well, that is my spiritual gift, you know, yes, right? it is.
2: Absolutely.
1: <laughs> um, so I, I thought that I loved what he said about, you know, even his own relationship with his parents and how that is evolving mm-hmm. and that has is um you know has changed obviously and and how he's able to still have that relationship also understanding and I think you and I know people like this as well if you start pulling that one string out you're really afraid that your entire um existence your entire faith your entire world view is going to potentially crumble right. and so that I think is one you know, interesting point that he made and something to remember. And then also the very real fear that parents and loved ones have that has been planted by clergy persons that right. their ch- child or their loved one, anyone who's LGBTQ plus uh, is going to burn in hell. Yeah. And so I think that what he is m- putting in front of my face and forcing me to consider is is you know remember that there is that group of people who who truly are just terrified and that's what is sad is that those are the pawns in this game of power and control which is what it ultimately is um from the church you know to convince people that there there's this visible enemy that they're fighting against and and that they're latching on to this like he said that's the you know homosexuality is listed amongst all of these sins when pastors are convincing their congregants this is evil and then all of a sudden then they know this person personally whether it's a child or a loved one who is um you know LGBTQ individual and thinking, well, I have to I have to f- fix this because they're going to burn in hell. And they've been manipulated and convinced of that thing that is is not fundamentally true. Yeah,
2: and I think that you know what's very interesting about uh, what you just said is that a long time ago, in my seminary days, I read this incredible book by a Catholic theologian uh, by the name of Daniel Migliori and it was called faith seeking understanding and he compared and contrasted these two ideologies or theological formulas and he was advocating for a a formula of beginning with faith and then to seek then seek to understand but he said most he said many people many people who are believers begin with trying to understand that leads to faith and when you start at the the uh, point of the starting point of understanding leading to faith you have to make everything work you have to make everything work everything makes sense to to lead to this faith but if you begin with faith then you are set on this journey of discovery and exploration about what The creator has brought into this world and it's beautiful and 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 wonderful and mysterious and everywhere around the corner it's like oh well probably we got that wrong but now i can see god's work in this and god's blessing in this and it offer it's an opportunity for growth and understanding and closeness to to figure out uh you know god's god's will, even though I don't really like that term, God's purpose, uh, God's creation as God intended it. And so it is this this movement towards discovery. And for so long, especially with our LGBTQI plus brothers and sisters, the church has gotten it wrong. They're still getting it wrong. But Mm -hmm. I also wonder if we just began with our faith in God and begin this journey on as Robbie has done, beginning with love, then we it might just be a better world, and it might be a, a, an opportunity to see the world differently and see people differently. But if we begin with trying to understand things that leads to faith— we have to make it work and we have to force it to work in order to have.
1: Well, we have to make it make sense in the box that we have.
2: Exactly. yeah, hundred percent yeah, 100%. 100%.
1: Tetris Tetris it in. And I am a huge fan of Tetris, huge fan of puzzles. Give me a, a box to fit a bunch of stuff in any day. And I love that challenge. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not the way life works. Right. And so I w- as you were talking about faith-seeking, understanding and, you know, having your faith and then seeking to understand all of the things God has put into the earth, I just couldn't help but imagine a rainbow. I mean, I think that you <laughs> yeah. can maybe, you know, draw a parallel here that there's colors and super random thought I was thinking the other day about, you know, we're told that there are colors that we can't even see, you know, because the human brain can't interpret it. And, you know, and I think about that and I think that's kind of how, you know, at least my worldview started out um, in my upbringing is, you know, there were colors I couldn't see. And so now. I feel like I see so much more of God's beauty, so much more of his color that he's introduced in the world. And I, I grieve to think that there might be something else I'm I'm missing out on right. because of my insistence of putting things in my box and making it fit properly.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well said.
1: So I think that, you know, the other thing that, that he said that I kind of wrote down because I know I need to like pin this to my forehead is, <laughs> you know, he put that. He's choosing not to perpetuate the cycle of hatred because nobody wins, and I just think that's I've I just admire Robbie so much for his for his attitude. Like I said in the beginning, um, his reminding us not to be part of that cycle of hate and to um, to remember that there are, are the people that are out there many times who are convinced that you know, that conversion therapy needs to be a thing or whatever, are are just doing so in love in a sense that they're truly afraid Mm -hmm. of this person's eternal existence. Yeah,
2: I agree. You know what's helped me with that? Uh, One of our favorite shows uh, on Apple TV is uh, Ted Lasso. And a couple episodes ago – you know, it's the hook that kills your mitch. It is. It absolutely <laughs> is. Uh, you know, is in a bar and he begins playing uh, darts with uh, Rebecca's ex-husband. Yes. And, you know, they're playing and you know, it's close and stuff like that. And Rupert, you know, starts to talk very derogatory towards everybody in the bar, especially Ted. And Ted gets up to make the last uh, toss and He recalls a story about his father and seeing a sign and a quote by Walt Wiltman that says, don't be judgmental, be curious. Mm -hmm. And when I think about people like Robbie and others who are so non-judgmental, even though they have every reason to be so, I think of that quote, that they're curious. They're curious. Why do you think that I'm going to hell? Why do you think the Bible is, you know, damning towards people like me? And they ask those questions in authentic and genuine, uh, in a genuine manner. And I mm-hmm. think that goes a long way because, you know, we could, you know, go back and forth, and you know, we could you know, yell at one another and condemn one another, but that does nobody any good. But if you're genuinely curious of why people think that and enter into dialogue with them, there is a potential. For commonality and understanding, so that's why right. I admire people so much, like Robbie.
1: Absolutely, and and honestly, you, you bring that up about being not being judgmental and being curious. And I, I'm now all of these films and documentaries are flooding through my mind, and that's my mark. I think of a great filmmaker, especially yeah. a documentarian, is that they're genuinely curious. And I th- I feel like you and I are are big document documentary fans we love to watch good and that's one thing that in this documentary and um I know the full feature that he is working on as he mentioned that that will bring such you know captivating art to the right. screen is is his you know curiosity and genuine wanting to learn and talk to people like he said I don't just want to talk I don't just want to preach the choir I want to talk to to everyone and see kind of where they're coming from and that's what he said in his more to tell the more we listen the more we're going to be heard. And I think that's just, it's very inspirational. Like I said, um, my toes are hurting, <laughs> so, but I'll get uh, over it. <laughs>
2: well, we'll just buy you some work boots, uh, steel toed work boots. Uh, you'll be fine. That's
1: right. That's right. How <laughs> dare he?
2: <laughs> well, once again, he was, uh, wonderful. Oh, he was great. Once again, his uh, website is thingswe shouldn't talk The short doc is there, and he's working on a full feature documentary uh, to build upon what he's already accomplished. And so we just really appreciate him being with us this week. Well, for everybody out there, we hope that you're having a great week, that uh, you had a great Easter weekend last weekend, and that spring has sprung wherever you call home, and you're enjoying some warmer weather.
1: Absolutely. Have a great weekend.
2: You've been listening to Good Faith Weekly, hosted by Mitch and Missy Randall. This weekly podcast from Good Faith Media discusses matters of faith and culture.
1: Subscribe wherever you get your podcast and give us a like and a glowing review. We produce the podcast out of Norman, Oklahoma. Our music comes from Pond 5.
2: And we're supported by listeners like you. Learn more about us at goodfaithmedia.org.